0: People who cheat on their taxes really disgust me. That is not the kind of world I want to raise my 23 dependents in mike mills of mike mills mortgage and finance here do you hate paying taxes is that like asking if you like breathing anyway as today's real estate market gets tighter and tighter deals are getting harder and harder to come by, and we're all looking for ways to keep more of our commissions in our pockets and as real estate professionals there are all kinds of business structures that you can use to minimize your tax burden and turn those expenses you incur in your real estate business into impactful deductions that can save you thousands of dollars a year but you have to know how to properly set up your business for the biggest impact and keep yourself out of the IRS crosshairs. And my next guest is going to show you how. Joining me will be Ruth Brooks. Ruth is a Texas CPA who's helped countless of realtors and investors structure their business for maximum tax savings. And she's going to share all her years of expert experience with us. Look, taxes are not a sexy topic. That is, until you get that big tax bill at the end of the year and wonder how you could have done it differently. Well, the new year is right around the corner, and the time is now to get your business in order, and Ruth's going to show you how to do it. Howdy, howdy uh, to all my Texas Ranger fans out there. So um, seeing that this is the Texas Real Estate and Finance Podcast, um, I got a few thoughts on my hometown team today that we'll get to here in just a second. But really quickly first, um, are you tired of feeling overwhelmed at tax season? Are you wondering if you're paying more than you should be? And do you dream of keeping more of your hard-earned money in your pocket and maximizing real estate earnings? if so today you're in for a treat so welcome to the texas real estate and finance podcast your guide to unlocking financial success in the world of real estate i'm your host mike mills and today we have an incredible episode um, featuring a true expert in the field of taxes and business structure And I promise you, um, you're gonna want to get out your pen and paper, uh, review, rewind, and listen again because this is gonna be chock full of information. It's gonna be a masterclass on real estate taxes. Um, I'm probably, uh, she probably feels like I'm overselling her on her a little bit, but, but either way, this is what this is how I feel about it. So, uh, but before we dive into today's uh, taxation TED talk, uh, remember if you find values in these conversations, please hit the subscribe button on your podcast platform and go out and check out my uh, YouTube page at Mike Mills Mortgage and Finance for more exclusive content. Um, Subscribing ensures that you stay updated on insights that can help elevate your real estate business. So my guest today is Ruth Brooks. Ruth is a seasoned CPA with years of experience helping small business owners, realtors, and investors structure their business in the best way to maximize their tax benefits. She is in high demand and just off another busy tax season, and she's here today to make us all a lot smarter when it comes to uh, our finances. So welcome, Ruth, to the show. Ruth, how are we doing today?
1: great. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm very happy to be here. Awesome. I'm very excited to go over these taxes.
0: Yes. Well, nobody's excited to go over taxes. Um, (laughs) Not even CPAs, I don't think. But um, so before we dive into taxes, because, um, you know, it is what we're here to talk about today. First, I want to uh, I want to I want to talk about a little Rangers baseball. Right. Um, So
1: exciting. We won the World Series yesterday. (laughs) That's amazing.
0: So have you uh, Have you been, did you grow up around here in this area?
1: I did. I grew up mostly in Wichita Falls, but then moved here to go to the University of Texas at Arlington. Okay. And my family, we've been Rangers fans for years, and um, we'd always do family outings. You know, there's a bunch of us in my family, and we'd have, you know, anywhere from 18 to 20 people going to a game or two each year. So in the old stadium, now yes. in the new stadium. So very exciting. I have some friends that are um, huge fans. So we've just been on quite a ride and
0: very excited. Yeah. The, uh, when you say the old stadium, I don't know, um, anybody outside of the area doesn't realize like, you know, we basically had three stadiums that the Rangers have played at since, um, since they got here. And I remember, you know, I'm 45 and I won't, I go back to the old Arlington stadium, Mm -hmm. you know, where in the, in the outfield, they had the old school bleacher seats, you know, they didn't have the bucket seats and, and you were sitting and you could bring coolers in and Mm -hmm. you could do all kinds of stuff. And that was where um, I remember my grandfather uh, taught me how to score, you know, with the book, you would sit in the outfield and you would write, you know, score the game. Um, And those were like in the Jim Sundberg era and, you know, Scott Fletcher at shortstop and Ruben Sierra and all that stuff. And I had tons and tons of baseball cards growing up as a kid. And then you move into like the era of, you know, the Pudge Rodriguez and Nolan Ryan and, um, you know, moving where we actually had a pretty decent team, right. you know, a little bit later into the nineties. Actually, a buddy of mine actually saw at rally house today where I got my shirt this morning. <laughs> um, we used to see, skip school in my, uh, my junior and senior year and go to his house and watch Ranger games in the afternoon, wow. you know, during baseball season. So, um, and then of course, um, I always tell people lately. So, in 2011, when the Rangers were in game six, where Nelson Cruz, you know, missed that fly ball on right, right. field, we mm-hmm. were basically one strike away from winning. Um, well, that was my birthday. And so it was like the worst day in Rangers baseball history was, was on my birthday. Well, Game one of this year, um, where Corey Seager hit the two run home run to tie the game in the exactly. bottom of the ninth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh and then uh, Garcia goes up and wins it in the eleventh. Um, that was also my birthday. So, oh, so. I've got the worst and <laughs> we'll call it the second best day in uh Rangers history right. um right around that time. So the the last, you know, the last couple of weeks has been awesome. It's been a great ride. Um seeing them go ten and oh on the road, um, beating the Astros, which I can't tell you how exciting that yeah. was. Um,
1: so I was at the Astros game during the season in September when they were playing and it wasn't looking so great for us. And yeah. so we were there and um, my husband and I went for a, a work event for him and um, we stayed and we watched, but it was much more fun watching uh, yes. this last series.
0: Well, my wife and I are going to see some friends in a couple of weeks and uh, they're all Houston Astro fans, the mm-hmm. big Astro fans. And so they've been, uh, They've been on, on beating us up over the last few years. And so we're, uh, we're donning every piece of Ranger gear I can find. Right. and We're going to show up and say hello to everybody that right. day. So. <laughs> I have
1: a cousin that lives up in um, the Seattle area and she was texting me last night and, I'm so excited for the Rangers. She's a Rangers fan. I don't know how she ended up a Rangers fan being up there, but, um, she's texting me and she said, I bet everybody in Texas is happy and having so much fun. I said, everybody, but Houston,
0: that's (laughs) right. That's right. right. Well, I stayed up way too late last night. So if I look a little groggy or my eyes are swollen, that's why I think I was up till two o'clock in the morning, listening to post game shows and just, you know, celebrating even by myself, mostly. So, um, all right. So that's a little, uh, Rangers nostalgia, uh, way to go world series champs. It's awesome. First time in the history of the franchise. So super excited about that. All right. So, uh, that's enough baseball talk. Let's get into the really exciting stuff, which is our, uh, tax return. So, so first off, just to kind of get everybody a little context, um, tell me a little bit about your background, your experience working with businesses, how long you've been doing this, all that kind of stuff.
1: OK, so I've been a CPA for over 20 years, um, been practicing in the industry for over 30, about 30. Okay. Um, so I've been out on my own as a CPA for 10 years. I do all types of entities. I have different business types, uh, S corps, corporations, partnerships, LLCs, um, and then all different types of businesses that are run, you know, whether it be real estate professionals, whether right. it be people who own rental properties, um, and then other businesses, just various types. And so, um, I, pra- I, I, graduated from the University of Texas at Arlington. They have a great UTA program. Mavericks, me yes, too. Mavericks, we go. Yes, Mavericks, um, yes. They have a great accounting program. So I finished up my uh, bachelor's degree there and got my CPA license and have been in public accounting ever since.
0: Yeah. Well, um, was this something like growing up that, you know, because <laughs> I don't think anybody grows up oh, loving taxes. away. No, really? Should, you, okay. You know,
1: it's funny you should ask okay. that. So, as a junior in high school, okay. I took my very first accounting class uh-huh. and it was, I grew up in Wichita falls. And after I took that class, I was like, I'm going to be an accountant. Really? I mean, I knew after that first class. I'm going to be an accountant and not many people know what they want to do in high school. <laughs> no, Some people no. are still in college trying to figure it out. So I was very lucky in that. <laughs> I was very lucky in that aspect as, um, as soon as I took that class, I mean, great teacher. Um, that always helps. I, yes. I took the second one, my senior year and, From then on, it was just like, this is what I'm going to do.
0: Is it the numbers or the puzzle or what do you, how do you, what is it you think attracted to you? Well,
1: you you know, when you first start out, you know, in the accounting classes, it's just the debits and the credits and the financial statements and doing all that. So um, I like that. Very logical, very orderly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, If you ask me to do a math problem, I'm not going to get it. Right. You know, it's not about math, right? And, you know, accounting is not about math. A lot of people think it is, but you know, I have my handy dandy calculator yeah, right yeah. next
0: to me <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: day in and day out. So, um, my husband makes fun of me whenever do you I still have the
0: little, me. the the clicky I one did with for the a tape. long time. I okay. did for a long
1: time. Now okay. I just have a solar powered one. So okay. if you make a mistake, you have to start all over. Uh, you can't um, go back and <laughs> review
0: your tape again.
1: Yeah. But my husband makes fun of me whenever he does. Somebody asks a math problem. I try to do it in my head and he's like, that's not right. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, we'll get my calculator and I'll help you. So, That's kind of what started it for me, but um, then I went into public accounting and in public accounting, there are so many different um, things. You can be in taxation, you can be an auditor, you can be, you know, in the accounting services. And so being able to see all those different aspects and all come together for the tax return, because, you know, that's what it's all about, you know, all the accounting goes straight to the tax return. So,
0: yes, that's what we all care about is that return.
1: And so, um, you know, just practicing, I tried a little bitty stint of, working in industry and it just wasn't fulfilling for yeah. me. So going back to the, you know, public accounting, doing tax returns, doing accounting services for clients, doing bookkeeping services, that's what I
0: really enjoy. Well, I mean, the good news is you're in a recession-proof business because right. it, it never slows down, right? right. I mean, it's right. like the mail. It just keeps coming. Nobody ever has to not file taxes. Right.
1: Everybody's like, we need to go to a flat tax. Oh, no, we don't. Nope. No, <laughs> you're good. I need a little,
0: I need a little job security. Well, right. that's never going to happen anyway. So I don't anticipate right. that. Exactly. It's too much, uh, too much code and too many loopholes that people love to get through. So, all right. So let's start with basic business structures. Okay. So speaking specifically about realtors and maybe even investors, um, you know, and I know that it's going to vary depending on. You know, complicated like how complicated is it going to get but you know there's a lot of uh people that look at okay do i just do a schedule c for my real estate business should i form a separate entity like an llc or even go as far as an s corp and then you know when you're investing in properties and i know this is you know you've Probably got five hours on just this one question, but um, if you're looking at investment investing, you know there's a lot of ways where people will move properties into LLCs to protect them against liability and that kind of thing. So, so what would you advise either uh, you know a realtor currently in the business that's like, okay, I need to figure out how to structure this correctly? How would you tell them to set it up, and then what would be the you know kind of the the road? markers i guess you would say on which okay if you get to this you probably need to change it and set it up this way
1: correct correct so obviously the simplest form is going to be the sole proprietorship right you also have a single member llc
0: okay now, now the sole proprietorship's is Schedule C, right?
1: Schedule C. Okay. Uh, and so is a single member LLC. Okay. Both of those entities are set up exactly the same as far as filing your federal tax.
0: And that's just in your own personal 1040. Right. You're, that, gonna,
1: you're gonna put it on your personal tax return. It's gonna be on a schedule C, whether you have that single member LLC for the liability protection that you talked about, or the sole proprietorship. Okay. Everything's gonna be reported on your personal tax return. So that's why it says. I say it's the simplest. Obviously, with the single member LLC, you're going to have some documentation that you have to file with the state, set it up and everything, pay some fees, things like that. But everything's reported on your personal tax return. So it is the simplest form. Okay. okay? As far as... Is that the way you want to go long-term? Maybe not. A lot of people will get into, you know, small business, whether it be real estate or any other business and say, okay, let me start this and see how it's going to go. Let me see if it's going to take off. Let's see if this is going to be something I want to do long-term and if it's going to be profitable long-term. So, you know, they keep the cost low by doing it that way.
0: Right. So you don't want to come out of the gate setting up all this stuff because you may not, I mean, I'm sure everybody will continue and have success, but- you may not.
1: And, so. and there are a lot of expenses associated with other t- entity types that you're going to have to go through legal, you know, things like that, right. setting up the documents and all that. Um, so a lot of people will set it up that way. The main downfall on running it in that aspect is the self-employment tax piece. Okay. okay. So when you are a single member LLC or, um, the sole proprietor, you're going to pay federal taxes on your net income after expenses. Okay. So okay. you've got your income coming in, you have your expenses, you have net income. That is going to be subject to federal tax. Okay. Okay. It's also subject to self-employment tax. And everybody says, what is self-employment tax? Because it blindsides a lot of people when okay. they get ready to file their tax return. When you are a W-2 employee, you have social security and Medicare taken out of your paycheck. Right. Um, and the, your employer sends that to the IRS for you. They also match it. It's at 7.65% for you, 7.65% for the employer. Gotcha. So you're getting 15.3% paid into the Social Security and Medicare for your W-2 wages. As a single member LLC or a sole proprietor, you're the employee and the employer. You're both. So you're paying both. You're paying 15.3% on that net income. Now, it caps out for social security at a certain amount and and it just goes down to um 2.9%, but you got to get there first. Right. So, that is the downfall of running it that way. So, obviously, when you get to that point where you're paying significant taxes because this business has taken off like you wanted it to, yeah. you want to potentially flip it to an S corporation, and you can take that single-member LLC and flip it to an S corporation very easily.
0: Now, real quick, quick question on that. So, I hear S-Corp and C-Corp, right? Mm-hmm. There's different ones and I'm, there's probably even more that I'm not thinking of, but um, what is the main difference between an S-Corp and a C-Corp?
1: So a C-Corporation <laughs> is an entity paying um, entity itself. It pays tax. Okay. okay. Um, the bad downfall of a C-Corporation is double taxation. So you're going to pay tax at the corporate level. Okay. And if you don't draw it out in salary, all of it out in salary, and you're going to pay at the individual level when you take it in dividends. Gotcha. Okay. The okay. S-Corporation is not an a uh, entity that pays taxes that entity is a filing entity um, your income and expenses are reported in the S corporation. And then there's a flow through K one that comes to your personal tax return. And that is where you pay the taxes. Gotcha. So,
0: so in that structure, the company doesn't pay taxes, but whatever income or whatever, whatever leftover, I guess you would call it that right. flows through, it goes to you as an individual as a K one. Correct. And then as an individual that's reported on your personal return, and then you therefore pay taxes on that.
1: Right. And the S corporation is an entity that you can use to mitigate some of the self-employment taxes okay. because what you're going to want to do when you set up your S corporation, there are some pretty strict guidelines when it comes to officers and their compensation. Okay. So you're going to have to pay yourself a reasonable salary out of this S corporation business.
0: Okay.
1: When I say the reasonable salary, everybody says, what is that? IRS is not going to tell you what reasonable salary is, but you know, if <laughs> you you're bringing in $350,000, you can't have a $10,000 W-2. Right. Okay. Right, right, right. So you'll work with your CPA and y'all determine, you know, what is the best salary for reasonable compensation, but that salary will be subject to the 7.65% self-employment taxes that we talked about. And your employer, your S corporation will pay the other half. Okay but it's not on all of it. So the residual is what flows through to your personal tax return, not subject to self-employment taxes.
0: Gotcha, okay. So
1: in a very simple scenario, let's say you have net income of $150,000 on a single member LLC, all of that $150,000 is going to be federal tax and 15.3% for Social Security. Let's say you have it in an S corporation, same net $150,000 before salary. If you take a... $80,000 salary, that's what's going to be subject to the 15.3%. Okay. Then you're and I'm making it very yeah, simple, yeah. yeah. but you're going to take that 150 less the 80. Here's my math going on in my mind. That $70,000 that's remaining is going to flow through to you on a personal tax return on your K1, not subject to the self-employment tax, so not subject to the 15.3%. Got you. And so that's where your tax saving is 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 pretty significant. Okay. Is that flow-through income? And that is why the IRS says you have to have a reasonable salary because, right. you know, if you're going to take $10,000 of the salary and 140 is going to flow through without that 15.3%, obviously big red flag. Right,
0: right. And that's what they're, they're, they're looking for. They're going to give you the structure, or I should say this, I don't want to call it shelter, but they're going to give you the formation of the company to help you offset your taxes, but you have to be reasonable within right. that. And right. you can't, abuse the system to some extent, because that'll throw red flags.
1: Right. Cause if you're taking a $10,000 salary, but you're taking $85,000 in distributions, they're like, that's really your salary. Right. So that's where they're going to kind of.
0: So basically what you're saying then is as far as the structure is concerned, is that, um, if you are starting out in real estate and this is your first couple of years, maybe you're part-time or you're not making a ton of money, then the, the sole proprietor or, you know, single member LLC on your personal returns is probably the best route to go because you're not going to be subject to as much taxes. Um, well, you're not going to be subject to extra fees right, on right. setting up a corporation as you would be if you just kept it there. Right. right? right. Now, um, but if you get to a point where things are starting to take off and you're starting to make some money and you right. want to save some taxes, then the S-Corp setup is probably going to give you the best... Uh, tax savings um, for your real estate business as a realtor.
1: Correct. And what I will say is, you know, just make sure you're doing it right. Make sure you're taking that salary. You're going to have the added cost of a separate tax return. Yes. Okay. Because you're going to have to file the 1120s. You're going to have this the expense of the payroll because you're going to have to use a payroll company or some you know QuickBooks or something to issue that payroll check and make those taxes. But the amount and and maybe a CPA who's helping you with all of that. But the amount that you're going to save in taxes will probably
0: be significant, be significant, oh, way significant
1: in comparison to what you're paying in fees to set that up.
0: Now, most realtors get, uh, they get a 1099 that gets issued to them personally. Mm-hmm. So how do they, how do they take that 1099 and push it through the escort? So the
1: way work? I do it is I take that 1099 and I put it on the schedule C as okay. if it had been issued to him. Okay. And then I show a line item as an expense called less nominee. And I give the federal ID number for the entity. So basically gotcha. it nets, your schedule C is going to net to zero. Okay. Um, And you're just telling the IRS, I know they issued this 1099 to me, but yeah. it really went into this entity and that's where you're going to see the revenue.
0: Gotcha. So it's still going to show up on your, on your schedule C, but it's just going to net over to your business.
1: It's going to net over to zero
0: or to zero. yes. And
1: then you're going to pick it up in the business and then you're going to, so if the IRS tries, if you don't put it on your 10, on your schedule C and do the less nominee deduction, The IRS is going to go. Whoa! Yeah, you got five hundred thousand dollars of revenue that you didn't report, and so they're going to flag it. Two years later, three years later, when they finally catch up, so it's important to put it on your tax return and back it out as an expense so that they can track it to that other account if they audit you.
0: Well, and you know, uh, taxes is one of those things that people um, don't know a ton about because again, it's not the most exciting topic in the world. Um, But what the reason it's so important to understand it is because CPAs are like human beings, just like anybody else. And you have good CPAs and you have maybe not so good CPAs. And I've seen, because I look at tax returns all the time, um, I will look at some and go. Who put mm-hmm. this together? Like, right. This is like nothing I've ever seen. How right. did you classify this here? Where did that go? I don't see it. And and they're like, well, my CPA did it. I have no idea. And I'm like, well, you need to call them and figure out what the heck's going on. Right. And and when you hear some of the reasons, and I've talked to a few of them on the phone, because I'm like, what do you? I was like, well, we were just, you know, we were trying to set it up this way, but you know, it, it made more sense like this. I'm, I don't think you can do it that like right. that. I'm like, I'm not a CPA. I don't know. But um, so it's important. My point of that is just that it is super important for you to understand it. You may not do it. You know, you may not perform the activities of the CPA. You're not filing your own stuff. And I think you're going to be better off if you pay someone to do that, especially as, as it gets more complicated. But at the same time, it doesn't mean you should turn a blind eye and not have an idea of how the structure is put together. Right. Exactly.
1: Exactly. So my husband's in a banking situation too. So he reviews a lot of tax returns too. So, you know, he'll call me, Hey, let's look at this. And I'm like, (laughs) Mm, Okay. And like you said, you know, there are some good ones and there's some great ones and then there's some not so good and yes. not so great. But, um, you know, I'm going to tell you first off, I'm not going to know the answer to every single question, yeah, Of course, you so. know, yeah. and I'm going to research it. If I don't know it, I'm going to reach out to colleagues and things like that. But, um, as a business owner, you want to be reviewing those tax returns. You yeah. want to make sure that what you believe should be on there is what's on there. And you need to ask the question if you don't understand it, you yeah. know, and, um, you know, most CPAs will give you that extra time to go through it because that's what I want. If I miss something, yeah, I want to be told, I right. want to, you know, oh yeah, you know what? I, I totally missed that email that you told me about this, you know, or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, you're going to want to, you know, make sure you're doing your own due diligence on your tax return yeah. to make sure. And as far as entity selection and stuff, you know, you're going to want to work with your attorney. Yeah. You know, having them help you set it up because like we said, you know, liability protection might be something that you really want to focus on. So the sole proprietor might not be the right thing. So spend a little money, use your CPA, use your um, attorney and um, make sure you're doing what you're supposed to do.
0: Okay. Um, Is there anything that you would add to that when it comes to Real estate investors people that own rental properties whether it be long-term short-term rentals any any uh, adjustment to the structure of it that you would recommend
1: so i don't want to give any legal advice because okay. i'm not an attorney um but obviously you know most of my clients who have rental properties they're going to set it up in an llc yep
0: and um, i will say from a mortgage standpoint that if you have a rental property and you purchase it in your name because most mortgages you have to buy as an individual um you can transfer it over to an llc transfer the title over now there is a due on sale clause that comes with every single mortgage um that kind of i don't want to say prohibits that but it certainly leaves them leaves the bank a little leeway if you do that and if you never if you don't pay your mortgage right. to where they could cause issues but on 99.9% of those people are paying those mortgages so as long as you pay your bill and nobody's going to you know be calling you to uh, to do <laughs> do on sale so right.
1: yeah yeah so you know just go ahead and you know check with your attorney, make sure that you're, you know, you have the coverage you need. You know, some people on their own businesses, they might not think they need an LLC because they have enough professional liability insurance or any other type of insurance. So, you know, you're going to work with your attorney with that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So on the rental properties, um, I hear a lot of times it's good to set up each individual one in its own LLC and not group them together because then that way they're separate if you have it, any issues. Right.
1: Another legal question. Another legal question. But yes, I mean, I see it that way because, you know, you're going to want to keep property one from property two and property three, you know, so right. that if something happens in one, you're not, you know,
0: so another thing that I hear often, uh, because I actually do, I read about, or I, I watch a lot of videos on taxes. Cause I'm very, um, uh, <laughs> very, very interested in it, in that, you know, when you figure out how much money you can save sometimes on doing your taxes correctly, it becomes something you're very interested in finding out more about. Um, so you hear a lot about when you are classified as a real estate professional, okay. Mm-hmm. That there come, that, that, that alone comes with a lot of tax advantages. Not only from running your business, but also purchasing investment properties. So, can you kind of elaborate on that a little bit and what that all means?
1: So, the real estate professional rules are designed for the people who own the rental properties. Okay. Um, basically, there is a designation that you have to um, provide at least 750 hours. Okay. Um, in this business, and it's and there's like 11 different categories. A few of them are development construction rental operation management leasing those kinds of things and so what this designation allows is um when you own a rental property if i just own one rental property it's considered a passive activity okay okay? and there are what are called passive activity loss rules which means if i have a loss on that probably not going to get to deduct it because of the passive activity loss rules. Okay. If you're a real estate professional and you are providing those 750 hours, it's considered active at that point. So if you have losses on rental properties, you're not subject to the passive activity loss rules and you can deduct your losses. Okay. Many people who have rental properties who are subject to these, they have if they have lost year after year after year because you know with the depreciation and your taxes and rental and it might not be a profitable um, property at first. Those losses are suspended and they keep rolling over year after year until you have a profit and then you can offset it with some of those losses or in the year that you sell it you can recoup those losses. So you know I have a lot of clients that they'll get a rental property and they're like okay well I'm gonna you know I'm going to deduct all these losses and i'm going to be able to you know lower my income taxes not this year (laughs) this year yours is suspended and so um the key with that designation is you're going to make you're going to have to prove to the irs that you have the 70 750 hours okay because it's it's one thing i mean you get all kinds of tax benefits um there are all kinds of benefits like you know the passive activity you can fully deduct your losses Um, you can have accelerated depreciation, Um, you can potentially avoid, avoid, which is, there's an additional tax that they came up with a couple of years ago. I don't even remember what year it was, but it was the net investment income tax. And it's an additional 3.8% of taxes that are added on top for what is called net investment income, dividends, interest, rental properties, potentially that are passive activities, right? That's 3.8% on top of your federal taxes. More. So yeah. So (laughs) if you can get this designation, it's now considered an active activity, not a passive activity. And you can potentially avoid paying that 3.8% legally. Okay. So, um, you know, and then you could also have the benefit of long-term capital gain treatment when you sell the property. So, um, Again, it's lean more towards owners of rental property versus agents who are buying and selling homes for their, you know, clients and stuff. So, um, but very, very, very beneficial if you can qualify for that. If you have multiple properties that you're owning and you can justify that 750 hours.
0: The um, I, I've had a few clients that have, and this happened, it's probably not happening as much right this minute, but it, it has happened quite a bit in the past where, they buy a rental property. They go in, they fix it up, um, put a lot of money into it. And then it's like a fix and flip essentially. Right. Um, but it may take them a couple of years before they flip it. Um, they Sometimes they'll hold it and then sell it a few years later. But what'll happen is they'll take a lot of um, deductions the first year because they put a lot of money into the property, right. um, all the repairs and everything. And so there's a fairly significant loss on the property. But then when they go to sell it, if they bought it for say $200,000 and they're turning around, they're selling it for $300,000. So they picked up hundred thousand dollars in net equity on that investment property. Right. So how does that work where you wrote off your expenses yet you're putting into it, but the whole 1031 exchange about moving your profit in, but I mean, I guess you can't write off your expenses twice, right? No, no,
1: you can't. So if you've deducted expenses, um, then you got that then, you know, and that's, especially if you were able to take the loss on the property. Um, on the schedule E. Right. Okay. If you are typically what you're supposed to do um, and you're not supposed to deduct it if you're, you know, if it's a flip type thing, sure. you know, um, if you're not actively renting it, um, you're, you're actually accumulating those costs. And so you should be accumulating those costs. So you say you buy it for the 200,000 and you put $50,000 in it. Now your basis becomes $250,000 on that property. You shouldn't be deducting those $50,000 of expenses. Then when you sell it for three hundred, you have the profit of fifty. 50. Okay, gotcha. but and that's, that's in what a fix
0: and flip when you're right, not that's renting a, it.
1: Right, that's in a fix and flip. Gotcha. And if you can hold it over a year and you're not doing these, you know, multiple times every, you know, you're not, you're not doing. Ten or 12 flips in a yep. three-year period um, then you could potentially get long-term capital gain treatment on that fifty thousand dollars if you hold it over a year gotcha. so um so yeah that's the key is if you're it's a fix and flip you're not deducting it as you're doing it you're, okay. you should be accumulating those costs into that particular asset And then you recognize the gain when you sell it.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So you still, you're going to pick up the gain when you sell it. But um, if, if it's a more of a over 12 months, you have to have it over 12 months. And then once it's over 12 months, then you get the long-term capital gains piece of it. Okay. And then you can, if you're
1: not considered a, you know if you're doing 10 in a three-year period they consider that an active business at that point and that might be subject to self-employment tax that might be you know you might not even get you know capital gain treatment because you're considered in the business of flipping homes so you kind of kind of keep an eye on that you know but if you're just going to buy one and a year and a half later you're going to sell it you can likely get that
0: capital gain treatment um, there's also something with related to cars that I found out this year for the first time. Uh, so if you have in, in Texas, especially, we see this all the time guys driving around these big old trucks, right? These massive, uh, uh, quarter ton, full ton. I don't know what, what, right. what they are. Um, but, uh, I, uh, I actually bought my wife a Tesla last year or two, almost two years now. And, uh, the model X, which also comes with this whole thing about the weight, the weight mm-hmm. of the car. Being used as a real estate professional, um you can write off the entire car in depreciation one year. Well, okay, yes
1: and no, yes, so and no. All right. Basically, the way that is called Section one seventy nine. Okay, gross vehicle weight of the vehicle has to be, I believe, over six thousand pounds. Yep, and it is a first year write off. Okay um, that's opposed to doing a mileage deduction, you okay. know, on a vehicle. The thing about that I caution many of my clients who want to do the section 179 is once you take that deduction in the first year, first of all, you're going to have to prove that it was used what percentage for business. Right. So, um, you know, you hear it on the radio all the time. If you want to take advantage of the section 179, come on down before the inventory has gone and pick yep. out your vehicle, you know, yep. and that's all sounds good except for If you take that write off in the first year, you're going to take the actual expenses. So you can have two choices when it comes to your vehicle. You can take actual or you can take the mileage deduction. And we'll talk a little bit later about the mileage deduction, but actual is where you get that depreciation piece. okay? Okay. So what's going to happen is year one, you're going to say, okay, I bought a $35,000 vehicle. Let me take a $35,000 deduction because I use it a hundred percent for business. Okay. Right. right. You know, if it wasn't used for a hundred percent, you'd have to do that calculation. So you take that $35,000 deduction, but then you keep that car for four more years. Okay. You're stuck with actual at that point. And so you're only going to get gas. Um, Tires, repairs, things like that. That's going to be your deduction over year two, three, four, however many years you keep it. So okay. it sounds great in the first year. And it, you know, you take that deduction, but then in the subsequent years, you're not getting much of a deduction, You'll especially because you're not having any gas on the yes. Tesla, but yes. on even on the trucks, you know, you're yeah. only getting your actual expenses. Right. Now let's compare that to the mileage deduction. Okay. And that's why I always caution my clients, especially if they buy something in December. And they're like, okay, I'm going to take it hundred percent for this year because I've had a really great year. Okay, great. But do you think next year is going to be better? Right. Because next year you're going to be stuck with that actual. Right. The mileage deduction is for the 2023 year is 65 and a half cents a mile. Wow. Yeah. So every mile you drive for business purposes, purposes is worth 65 and a half cents deduction that's a huge deduction for people who drive a lot okay and the reason it's as large as it is is because it encompasses gas repairs depreciation all you know registration all of those expenses are accumulated in so if you decide to use mileage obviously every year you're going to have a huge deduction year one year two year three year four year five right whereas (laughs) if you do the the actual expenses and you're stuck with them you know year two through five you might not have as big of a deduction because you're not you're not able to take the mileage you're only taking the gas and the repairs right so So it
0: could be beneficial but it also could not just depending on how the math works out what you pay for the car how much you use it how long you keep it so it's not just a black and white thing
1: right and i also caution my clients too because if you're not using it 100% for business, you have to keep a mileage log anyway. Right. So you're keeping the mileage log to determine, okay, is this a, um, you know, is this business or is it personal? And then you have to figure out what the percentage is anyway. So if you have $10,000 in gas and oil and everything, but you only use it 75%, you're going to have to be able to deduct just the 7,500. So a lot of times for simplicity, it's just as easy to do the mileage deduction, spread it over those four or five years that you're going to own it.
0: Sounds good and sexy, (laughs) but it doesn't necessarily mean it always is. Right. Yes. No, I understand that. So, um, what type of things would you tell people that they should consider when they're thinking about whether they're going to do an LLC or S corp? And again, does it just come down to how much revenue you're bringing in and, and what, what, uh, 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 the complexity of what you're trying to write offers or any other factors to think about?
1: No, it basically, you know, it's, it's like one of those things it's like, okay, if, if I'm going in hundred percent, then I need to know that I'm going to have some filing requirements. I'm going to have some, you know, certain things I have to do in S corporation. You have to have board of directors meetings. Even if it's just you, you need to have board of directors uh, you have to have minutes, you know, you have to follow these. Calling bases. to order a meeting yes. with myself, <laughs> yes. here but are you, minutes. <laughs> but you need to basically be able to justify that it truly is an S corporation, that you're not doing it just to save on the taxes right. and stuff. So in answering that question, it's hard to say. It's like, it's a know, case
0: by case basis. It
1: is, it really is. Yeah. And, and people who start a small business, you know, let, I'm going to sell t-shirts or I'm going to do, you know, one of these other things, you know, that everybody's doing right now. They might start with the sole proprietor or the L single member LLC just right. because we're not sure. Right. We're not sure where it's going to go. Well, how it's going to last. Um, but, you know, if you're already in the business, if you're already, you know, in a real estate, you know, if you're, you know, significantly increasing your revenue, then yeah, you're definitely going to want to talk to somebody about maybe switching entity types.
0: Okay. Um, all right. So now that we have a pretty good idea of business structure, it seems relatively simple once you dive into it a little bit. Um, let's talk about. Which is probably the bigger issue, which is keeping records correctly, right? And managing your 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 expenses because if you want deductions or if you want to use deductions, and you have to have you have expenses, but you have to track them, you have to know where they're at, you have to have good records of them because if you do, uh, are one of the unfortunate individuals that get that IRS audit. Which, by the way, um, recently uh, the uh, Treasury Secretary was talking about how when they hired all the IRS agents that they weren't going to target lower income folks. And yet when they were asked directly about whether people under the income levels of 400,000 would get targeted more, um, they couldn't say yes or no, which generally means yes. Yes. So, um, you need to be very aware of that, uh, you know, with, with all of the focus on as much as the, (laughs) we're in $1.7 trillion in debt as of last week, I'm sure it's gone up since then. Um, that means the government needs money. And when they need money, they come for you. So uh, you need to have your ducks in a row. So when we talk about uh, tracking expenses, um, so whether it be sole proprietorships or LLCs or S corps, um, you know, do people need to have multiple credit cards, multiple bank accounts? Like, what would you start? Would you say, okay, if you're going to have this entity, it needs to have its own bank account, it needs to have its own credit card, and then and then what type of expenses do you typically see? We'll speak in terms of real estate agents specifically. Okay, um, could you? reasonably and legally associate to your business and and be able to deduct.
1: Okay. So, I'm going to tell you straight off, it doesn't matter if you're running it as a sole proprietor, single member LLC, or an S corporation or partnership, which a lot of them don't um, you know, run partnerships for real estate, but I'm always going to suggest a separate bank account. Okay. I'm always going to suggest a credit card for your business. Um and you're going to use those two for your business. I don't like to see the commingling of the, of the personal stuff with the business stuff. I don't want you to, you know, when you first get started out there, you might not have that bank account yet. So you might have to pay some expenses at right. first. A few things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But let's eventually switch over, get that, that account set up. You will thank me at the end of the year when you don't have to go diving through all your personal credit cards and all your personal bank accounts. Oh, was this business or was it not? Um, your accountant in your CPA Or your tax preparer will thank me as well because they're not gonna have to have spreadsheets upon spreadsheets. Well, this came from this account and this came from this credit card, you know. So it just simplifies everything. I also like to say, you know, if you are to get audited and they're challenging any type of expense, then all you're providing to them at that point is your personal, I mean, your business bank account. You know, you're not having to open up everything on your personal side. So that you can justify it.
0: Do those records now that, you know, because credit cards and bank statements are pretty detailed where they come from, you know, they have the amount and the entity and whatever. Do you still need to keep receipts these days? So the
1: IRS really does say that documentation is not sufficient on a credit card statement because they want to know, let's say you go for a meal, you take a client, a potential client out. Um they want to know, you know, you're supposed to write on the top of it who you had lunch with or whatever, gotcha. who you had dinner with, you know, because they're going to be asking you know why, you know I'm going to pull these certain receipts, you know, I'm going to pull these certain charges and these are the ones I want to see the receipts on. So they they do say that it's better to actually have the receipts. I don't care if it's in a shoebox. Sure. And the shoebox gets labeled and it goes, you know, with your other tax documents, you know, I don't want to go through the shoebox obviously. <laughs> right. Um done with those days. But yes. um, but you want to keep the receipts. And, okay. and all I do is, you know, once I have business um, transactions, I just have a folder and I just stick it in there. And then at the end of the year, that folder is my documentation for everything that's being run through that business account.
0: Do you have any um recommendations for because and especially nowadays i mean you can put apps on your phone and take images oh, of yeah. receipts all the time is there any free ones out there that you I, like or? i
1: don't know about those okay. i know um you know some of the some especially of the for ages,
0: there's ones that track mileage they track all well, kinds of stuff. yeah
1: so i know mile iq is a good one that will yeah. tra- track the mileage i think there's one called the hurdler or something like that there are several mileage ones yeah. that that you can utilize and at the end of the month it'll print you you know what your business mile is um, or, um, but as far as the apps for there, there has to be a ton of them. Out oh, there's, there yeah, for there's, there's taking there's pictures of your receipt and uploading yeah. it to some sort of file Cloud that, you know, file, yeah. that you can keep. So then you don't so have you to have, don't, have the shoebox. You don't have to have the shoebox. You don't have to have the folder, but, yeah. you know, being, you know, I've been in this business yeah. for a long time. I <laughs> yeah. stick to my guns that I know what works. Yes, and yes, so I'm yes. a, I'm a paper person, yes, but my yes. husband makes fun of me about that.
0: Yeah. But. Well, you had the, you had the calculator with the paper yeah, coil yeah, on it. So yeah, I you couldn't, uh, <laughs> could not do that. Okay. Yeah. So
1: so as far as tax deduction, okay. this is what I'm going to tell you. Okay. I always like to go back to the internal revenue code, section 162. Okay. Basically what that says is anything that's ordinary and necessary to operate your business is a deduction. Okay. It sounds pretty broad right okay right but ordinary and necessary so obviously if is it necessary for you to have your cell phone yeah yeah is it necessary for you to drive your vehicle yeah, yeah. is it necessary for you to have a home office possibly yeah you know so well, especially
0: these days there's right. not a lot of people that have offices off right
1: so all of these things that are ordinary and necessary are the items that you're going to you know, be able to deduct. Okay. Um, obviously, they went away from entertainment a few years yes, back. They I remember said, this. No more entertainment. You know, because people were saying, "Well, I do have to have a suite at the Rangers Stadium right. because yes. I have to take my clients That's there." Right. But the IRS is no, you really don't. Right. So they still allow meals; they just don't allow entertainment. Okay. Um, but those are the kinds of things that you're just gonna, you know, like you can even look at a travel's you know, one, two, travel's celebrate. a big one. Yeah, travel, you can still do travel. And if you want to see what deductions are available, you can always go to the Schedule C, which is on the form 1040, and you can look at all the different categories that are there. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good place to look and say, Oh, yeah, I didn't think about this, you know. Um, and then an S corporation, same thing. They'll have those expenses listed. But you know, your big ones are advertising, marketing, yep. um, travel.
0: And by the way, um, uh, marketing covers a lot of things, yes. a, a lot of things. So, um, especially if you're doing, uh, you know, there's lot, these days, a lot of people do social media, uh, marketing, especially as agents and lenders and, um, uh, any video editing, any, uh, you know, uh, software that you use to produce your videos, to point, you know, any of that stuff, um, ordinary and necessary, ordinary and necessary. Now, <laughs> so let me ask you a, I'm going to ask you a hypothetical, okay? okay? No, it's not, I, the spot. I didn't do this, <laughs> but, uh, um, I'm just curious. Curious. So, um, hypothetically, you're a real estate professional, you're a realtor, and um, you are uh, going to Colorado to look at some properties that you are considering purchasing um, as an investor, but also for potential clients that you have locally that are going to buy a second home.
1: Right.
0: Now, while you're on this trip to go visit these properties, you see two or three of them. Um, you happen to also, you know, enjoy yourself for a right. couple of days as well. Right. Um, let's say you fly to that mm-hmm. location to do so. Um, what are you looking at as far as like reasonable and necessary expenses in that scenario that you could possibly.
1: So I'm going to tell you that this has been a long time thing and people have done it all these years and they, you know, go on a beach vacation. They go to Colorado, wherever. The thing is you're going to have to be able to document the time you spent Business versus personal. Okay. Okay. So if you're only seeing three properties and you're there for seven days, obviously you're going to have to allocate most of that to the personal side. Right. Um, But you are conducting business. You are experiencing the ordinary and necessary expense. So you might just take 30%. If you believe 30% of your time up there was utilized for business, then you're going to take 30% of the travel, the airfare, Uh 30% of the, Airbnb or whatever you rent, right. you know, they you know, all of those expenses. If you're taking potential clients that are already up there or they come up there and you show them and you take them to dinner. Yeah. But it's going to be 30%. I mean, the meal might be a hundred percent because you took the client, right. but any of that other incidental costs that you're incurring on this
0: it's a percentage based, based on how much you're working business versus, versus
1: personal, personal you're going to always going to want to look at how much time did I spend? On the business is that
0: outside, is that associated to the travel expense as well, like the yeah. plane ticket. You just take thirty sure. percent of the deduction sure. on that, yeah. depending on how much time yeah. you spend. Okay, but
1: not thirty percent of your family.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> just good point. you. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: is there are there any expenses that you find with your clients that that get missed that they don't include often that they could um, that you feel like hey if you if you did this again all of this to be said it has to be tracked it has to be explained you have to keep all the receipts etc but is there anything that people that clients miss on a regular basis that you so see? so
1: not usually on those type of expenses the key one that i see most people aren't aware of or they're not um taking advantage of is the retirement you know a lot of people are not taking advantage of uh, putting away enough money for retirement they're blowing and going they're trying to you know they're working their business yeah. but If you're a single member LLC and you set up a SEP, depending on what your income is, you could potentially write off 25% or put away 25% of that into a SEP, which is a a self-employed pension plan, um, up to $66,000. Wow. So not only are you reducing your income. For income tax purposes in the current year, but you're, you're saving. saving money for retirement, yes. and then when you take that money out in retirement, hopefully you're in a lower tax bracket. So right. it's a win-win there. Same thing for a, a S corporation, solo 401k. If it's just you, you can set up a solo 401k, and I think it's. I think they raised the 401k contributions to like $27,000 or something like that for wow. 2024. Okay, You, as long as you have that W-2 and you have someone that, you know, can set up this plan for you, you can put away that. And if it's a solo 401k, there's a matching piece from the business. So the business is going to get a deduction and it's going to go into your retirement account. So that's a big one that a lot of people don't think about because they're just so busy working. Yeah and so busy, you know, yeah, there's an IRA and I think the IRA is like 7,000 or something right. like that, but you can do so much more than that. If you're proactive in setting up one of these plans, if you
0: set those things up. Yeah. Correctly. Yeah. I think that is a huge one. Actually. I mean, I, I didn't realize that myself. Um, the, the key on that too, is that when you're, when you're putting that money aside, cause it's difficult for people often to save money, especially these days, right. everything's so damn expensive and it becomes really challenging, but you have to, automate a lot of stuff. And I think that's where, um, uh, if you, if you do, if the money comes out before it comes to you, um, then you tend to not miss it as much versus trying to make yourself put it in there later. And, you know, just aside from the tax benefits of that, you know, you get the benefit of time and compound interest exactly. because that's where the real benefit comes into play. Because when that money just sits there and it doesn't move and, and it, and it gets time to grow and develop, whether if it's just sitting in a index fund or whatever, I mean, wherever you can put it, um, you're going to get tremendous benefits just from that.
1: Right. And you could, you know, set it up to where it automatically transfers to some other kind of account, whether it be an investment account or something, hopefully, you, you know, you're going to earn something on it set it aside and put it there and then at year end you're going to calculate what that set contribution would be you're going to calculate what your solo 401k match would be from your but you've already kind of designated and you know you're not seeing it you're not spending it so right. that's the key with with something like that is to you know obviously 60 is like oh great you know we're going to lower your tax bill by about thirty thousand yeah. dollars you know but i need you to write a check for 66. right you know yeah. so and they're like Okay. So, you know, it's, it's not waiting till the end. You know, I have several clients that just have an automatic draft that goes every single month to still start funding their $66,000, yeah. you know, yeah. and it's out of sight, out of mind.
0: Yeah. I'm going to need to do that for my wife actually. Cause yeah. I haven't, I haven't set up a, a set for her and it could save a ton. of like, yeah. It's just things you're like, ah. uh, why do we not do that? Um, okay. So You mentioned the home office deduction. So talk a little bit about that. Um, Just kind of give everybody an idea of exactly what that is, what you can, you know, utilities, cable, what all the stuff that you can put into that. And then if there's any pitfalls or things, well, you know, you can do it this way, but be careful, like, you know, elaborate there. Right.
1: Okay. So the home office deduction, it's big for a lot of people because everybody's working at home now. It's just gotten bigger and bigger, you know, ever since COVID. But there are two regulations that you have to follow. It has to be regular and exclusive use. Okay. So when I say that, you can't have the game room upstairs and say, okay, well, this is going to be my home office, but we're also going to have the kids playing video games up here and we're going to have movie night up here. Regular and exclusive use. So that's one. And then principal place, place of business. Okay. Principal place of business means you're going to meet with clients or you're going to meet with customers, or you're going to do your administrative tasks and stuff like that. So those are your two requirements to have a business in home. Now, this is where you get your pen and paper out, guys. IRS publication 587, okay? That is the business use of the home. It's about 30, 35 pages long, and it will give you everything you need to know about the business home, uh, use of your home. Okay. Now, it's going to go through the two different types. There's a simplified version okay. that they came up with, I think about 2013. Yeah. And then there's the, um, the regular method, which is what the utilities and things like that. So the simplified method is just $5 per f- per square foot okay. up to 300 square feet. So if you don't want to be bothered with getting your utility bills and you don't want to, you know, worry about any of that, you can just figure out what your square footage is of your office and multiply it times $5 and that's your deduction. Okay. Okay? I'm talking single member LLC and, um, and sole proprietor. It's a little bit different for the S corporation, which it'll go through all that in that publication, but, um, it's not going to be as large of a deduction typically.
0: Right.
1: Um, but a lot of people don't want to be bothered with that. A lot of people don't want to be bothered with depreciation component, which I'll talk about in a minute. Um, they don't want to be bothered with any of that. And they're just, I want to take office and home, but I just want to do the simplified method.
0: Is there anything to this, to the statement that sometimes the less complicated your taxes are, the less likely you are to be audited?
1: Not necessarily. I think there are some red flags. Okay. Um, you know, if you're, if you're trying to deduct four vehicles, right you know, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I think, and there's also random audits. Yes, I mean, yes. I, I, I think be, more of are
0: random. Yeah. Than, I yeah. could
1: be pulled for a random audit. You know, I'm a CPA dude, yeah. and they'd be like, Hmm, let's just randomly pull this person. And it happens to be my husband's name or yeah. whatever. Um, so I don't really think there's, there's a correlation, but simplify it. So you won't get audited. Yeah. Um, I'm a proponent of, Let's take every legal deduction get. you yeah. can take. I mean, right. obviously I'm, no the right way. Right. I'm not going to go to jail for anybody right. and I don't want to go jail with you. Right. So let's do everything legally, but let's make sure you get what you're supposed to get. Yeah. yeah. So um, if you choose to do the regular method, you know, you're going to have to figure out your square footage of your office space compared to your square footage of the home, whatever that percentage is. Let's say it's 8%. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to get a deduction for 8% of your mortgage interest, property okay. taxes, insurance, you know, insurance is typically not on your home. It's typically not deductible, Right. but you'll get 8%. Okay. Um, your utilities, the security system, if you're using the security system at home and then the depreciation component. Okay. The only thing I, you know, tell people is depreciation is what they call allowed or allowable. People are like, Oh, I don't want to deal with that because I don't want to have to have to, later when i sell the house potentially pay tax on that little bit of depreciation that i've taken because okay. i want to exclude all my gain it's worth the deduction because it's allowed or allowable so when you do sell that home the irs says well you should have taken it anyway so we're not even going to let you you know oh, exclude okay. it I so guess. you're going to have a, a depreciation component eight percent right not going to be significant so um like i said irs p- publication 587 Look, well, i can't even say it today 587 is a valuable resource that will help you there are examples in there and says this person did it this way can they have a home office yeah. or this is what they're doing is does that qualify for home office so um, it's very, very helpful.
0: Do you, do you feel like, cause you've mentioned a couple of different sections to go read before and, and honestly, you know, looking at, I've never even considered, <laughs> which is ridiculous, but I've never even considered going to the IRS website and just being like, okay, well, what do they say about this? You know, yeah. how does it, but when you say that, that 35 page document that has all these, um, home office deductions, would you, would you classify that as easy reading? It is. Okay, it is. Really? It's
1: very basic. It There are not technical in that. Um, You know, you have to be a CPA or you have to have taken six hours of taxation, you know, in college, even though sometimes you're usually required to do that anyway um, for most business degrees. But it's going to be basic. It's going to go through. Here's how you qualify. Here's the ruling on it. Um, And then, like I said, examples. So you can put yourself in one of those examples and say, okay, am I doing stuff I'm supposed to do to be eligible to take this? Home office deduction, and it's not huge. Right, it's it's really not a but huge deduction, but else. every single deduction helps.
0: Well, and that goes back to the compounding thing because this is something that people talk about in investing a lot. Whenever you're um, investing in anything or you're doing any type of uh, financial transactions where you're paying someone to, get, like stock trading is a good example. So if you're working with a broker and you are paying for every transaction that moves through, you're losing. Money that you're investing because that that percentage of the fees that you're paying you're not compounding on because you're losing that money right. So if you take that and apply it to taxes and okay, well this is only going to save me two thousand dollars this year or whatever the case may be, fifteen hundred bucks. Well, if you compound that over thirty years and and stick Mm -hmm. that into an account that's earning you interest, that could be a lot of money that that really matters to you. So it every little bit helps, and especially these days, you know, like I set up this whole thing to begin with is. You know, transactions are hard to come by these days for realtors and and lenders and and the market's tighter. So every little place that you can save, you know, keep more of your commission in your pocket is is always going to be a benefit. Right. Um, All right. So cars. So vehicles. Um, Obviously, we talked a little bit about the full depreciation piece that we mentioned a minute ago about if it's a certain weight. You can take a full depreciation on it, which may or may not be a good idea, depending on if you want to deduct mileage for the, for the use the remainder use of the car, as long as you have it versus a one-time deduction. And that's pretty much it, even though it's all of it. Um, what else is there in relation to your car? And then can you talk a little bit about the personal use versus business use and you know, how, how nailed in you really need to be or how dialed in on that you really need to be?
1: So you're really going to want to keep accurate records. It's, it's, the IRS, when they come in, if they're going to come in and they're going to audit you and, and the vehicle expense is going to be the one they're going to look at, or one of the ones they're going to look at, yeah. they're going to ask you for a mileage log they, every time. So I always tell my clients, I don't want you to say at the end of the year, oh yeah, I think I drove about 22,000 miles on yeah. my car and I think I use it about 75% of the time. Don't
0: think. No. Right. So
1: <laughs> that's why the mileage apps, like you talked about earlier, huge yeah. because you don't have to think, I mean, like I said, I'm a paper, paper and pencil person. Sure. So a lot of times I'll just keep a little notebook in my car. And I know a lot of real estate agents that, you know, they have notebooks they're They're keeping all their stuff. A lot of small business owners, they have these notebooks, keep one in your car, yeah. keep your mileage log. Um, if you're going to go, you know, here's what the IRS says. I go to the post office and I check my PO box that I use for business. And on the way I go to the grocery store, they don't really want you to deduct that grocery store. So, um, you know, when I'm driving for business, I try to go there and back, you know, and I try not to make any personal stops, you know, so that I can justify, I went to the post office and back. Um, and how are they going to be able to come back and, you know, say, okay, well, did you really go there that day? They're not going to be You know that detail, but they're gonna want to see that mileage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You need to have something. Yeah, and you know it's it's easy to do. Yeah, it's it's hard to recreate.
0: It's just habit you have to have to be able to do. it. because
1: a lot of times if you get pulled for an audit and you have to go back and recreate this mileage log for the estimated twenty-two thousand miles that you put in seventy-five, that's harder. You're gonna get your calendar out from last year or maybe two years because you know the IRS might audit you two years later. Yeah. And you're going to be trying to recreate that. So it's just a habit you have to get into that says, okay, if I want to take these deductions and I want to have a leg to stand on when I get, when, or if I get audited, I'm going to do what I need to do. And that's keeping the mileage log.
0: How far can the IRS go back and audit you or how far do they typically do it? So the statute of
1: limitations is three years. Three years. Okay? Okay. So they can go back and audit you for three years. Okay. Unless... They believe that you have a 20%, um, I think the the way they word it is a 20% uh, reduction, uh, you're not reporting 20% of your income okay. or you've overinflated your expenses by 20%. Okay. So if they believe that you are hiding income or they believe you're, you know, there's 20% or more, they can go whenever. they can go back as far as they want. Okay. And
0: really what that is, is they're just leaving themselves an out in case they really need to prosecute somebody. Yeah. yeah,
1: Exactly. So, you know, that's what they're going to do. You know, they're going to go back and they're going to, you know, open up other years if they believe that there's
0: an issue. Yeah. If they find something on your first one, you're really getting froggy with them. They'll say, okay, well we can go back a little bit further. And
1: I, yeah, they they will potentially, but yeah. um, what I've seen, you know, is if they pull somebody for an audit, they're going to audit that particular year that they're looking at. They don't always open up multiple years. They're going to open up that audit and they're going to allow it or they're going to disallow it, you know. Yeah. And you're going to be fighting them for it if you don't have that documentation.
0: Yeah. And I hear, I think this is a fallacy because uh, I hear it often about people like, you know, I don't make enough money for the IRS to care about coming after me or whatever. And and my personal argument to that sometimes yeah. is like, well, maybe. Okay, but to audit, you might take one guy one day and they might make fifteen hundred bucks and they could duplicate that a thousand million times over and make a lot of money versus going after the guy that makes millions of dollars and has attorneys that they pay. A lot of money as well, and it's going to take a lot longer and a lot more expense for them to get them. So just because it doesn't mean they will or won't, but just because you don't make a lot of money doesn't mean that they can't come after you or won't come after you.
1: And my thing is with my clients, and I, I tell people this all the time: if you're doing the right thing and you've got the documentation and you know what you're doing, and and you're not, you know doing things that, that things that you shouldn't be doing, um, there's no need to worry about that IRS letter. I mean, everybody panics. Oh no, there's something from the IRS. I don't know. I'm not even going to open it. You know, let's just set it aside and I'll deal with it later. So, you know, keep that in mind. And that's what us as CPAs and tax repairs, that's That's why we're asking you those questions. You know, How much did you drive personally? How much did you drive for business? We want to get you the deductions, but we want to make sure you're protected.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Get, Get the deductions, be protected and document everything. And most of the time you'll be just fine.
1: Well, and the other thing is, is we have, we have preparer penalties. I don't know if you guys are aware of that. So if I, if I don't ask those questions and I let you deduct these and I put it on there and I sign the return, I could potentially be Up for prepare penalties and pay money. So that's why we are doing, we're protecting you, but we're also protecting us.
0: You're behind on that too. Yeah, Um, I I don't think there's any, I had another question about any other lesser known deductions here, but I'm pretty sure other than the SEP, which we already talked about, I don't think there's too much as it relates to real estate uh, agents. Is there anything with property owners or investment property owners that are deductions that get missed sometimes?
1: Well, again, property owners, you know, if you're going to those properties regularly, you're going to want to keep a mileage log for that. A lot of them don't think about that. A lot of them don't think about, you know, using their cell phone. You know, if they're, if if they're contacting them, you know, obviously the big ones, you know, you're going to take the mortgage interest, the property taxes, the insurance, things like that. Yeah. Um, if you're covering HOA fees on a rental property, that's deductible. If it's on your home, it's not. Right. But if you're paying an HOA fee for a property that you have um, rented, you can deduct that. So all of those things that are same thing, ordinary, necessary to run that rental property, those are going to be the deductions for okay. that too.
0: Um And then uh, quarterly estimated taxes. So this comes up quite a bit, um, especially when you have a company that you're formed. Because I think with S corps in particular and LLCs, you kind of have I don't know if it's a requirement or or necessary, but um, but nobody likes to pay taxes once every three months. (laughs) Like nobody wants to do that. So you know you see a lot of people wait till the end. Is there benefits of the quarterly payments uh, estimated on? You know, are you saving any money, or is it just covering your butt? Like what's the What's the gist of all that?
1: Okay, so let me explain quarterly payments. So um, as a W-2 earner, you're going to have, hopefully, you're going to have federal taxes withheld out of your paycheck and remitted to the government every time you get paid, your employer does that for you. Right. So the IRS says, well, why should a self-employed individual, whether you're an S corporation, self-employed individual or an LLC, why do they get to keep their money all year long? Right. You know, and so they're like, we want you to pay in your estimated tax liability during the year. And um, if you don't, we're going to charge a penalty. Ah. So, um, you know, that's why you want to make sure you're covering your estimated tax payments now. There are two rules when it comes to estimated tax payments that you can make. You can use um, the 110% of the prior year tax. So whatever your last year's tax is, multiply it times 110%, divide it by four, and you're going to make four payments April, June, September, and January. Okay. That's going to keep you penalty proof. Okay. Okay? That's what the 110%, that's for people who are over $150,000, which is probably most of the people we're talking about. It's 100% if your income's less than 150. But 110% of the prior year tax, penalty proof. Doesn't mean you're not going to owe when you file your tax return in April. Right, It's going to keep you a penalty proof. The other one is 90% of the current year tax. You can do either or. I call that the crystal ball. You know, what is 90% of my tax liability going to be? I don't know. Idea. You know, I might yeah. sell a house this, this quarter. I might not, or right. I might sell five and that, you know, versus last year, you know, same time. So a lot of times many of my clients will just defer to the 110% rule, pay that in. And if they have a rocket year that the income's going to go up and the taxes are going to go up, we meet quarterly and right. we determine, okay, you know, should we increase this now? Right. You know, if you think you can make more money, you know, investing it or whatever, fine. You don't have to increase it as long as we're covering that 110% rule and we're not going to have a penalty. Um, You don't have to pay it in, but no, you're going to sock it away and you're going to have it for April 15th. So when we file the tax return. And so that's what happens each year. You might have a good year and you'll see your estimated tax payments that your CPA prepares for you. They go way up and you're like, whoa, what happened here? I got to pay this much. Not only do I owe for, you know, last year, I got to make my first payment in April. So, um, and then you might have another year where the income's down a little bit. So your estimated tax payments go down. So one little story that I like to tell most of my clients is, um, I had a client years ago, um, and he didn't like to make the estimated tax payments. He was like, I'm not going to be bothered with paying in April, June, September, and January. So around December 28th or the 30th, he just grabbed this number out of the air and he'd send it in. Okay. Well, when we filed his tax return in April, he actually had an overpayment. Because he paid in too much. Yeah. But he had a penalty. So
0: it ate up his overpayment.
1: It took part of his overpayment because he didn't pay a fourth of it in April, a fourth in June, a fourth in September, and yeah. a fourth. In... So that's what the IRS so like, oh, okay, yeah. now I get
0: it. The IRS
1: says you're not going to keep your money all year long. You're going to pay it in, or you're going to give us a penalty. Yeah. And I'm a firm believer that the IRS does not deserve penalty money. Right. Okay. Right. Right. They get enough for the taxes. Yes. Let's not give them penalty money if we can avoid yes. it.
0: Though. So the big thing with those in is, is the reason they're there. It's not just because they want to make you pay. It's that if you don't pay your estimate correctly, you're going to pay penalties for it. Right, yeah. Right. There's, there's always a purpose behind all of it, right? There's, <laughs> right. The, if you don't do it the way they want, then then yeah. you're going to be in trouble. So, um, all right. So kind of, we're almost, we're, all, we're already in over an hour here and, uh, you know, it went by really fast. Cause was like fascinated by this. I know everybody say we're fascinated by taxes. I really am. <laughs> I'm fascinated by this. Um. So, at what point being a CPA who gets paid to prepare and all this kind of stuff? But if you're talking to your son or your daughter or your sister or brother, at what point does somebody need to have a professional working with them to help them prepare versus, you know, pretty simple, pretty vanilla go to TurboTax, go to whatever, and, and, and they can walk you through it pretty easily in the cost? Where, does, where do you feel like the cost benefit kind of offsets?
1: So, I think that if you are paying somebody, to do your taxes for you, to help you with the accounting, to help you with all of those things. This gives you the time to do what you specialize in. Right. So if you're going to pay a little bit of money for somebody to do your taxes, then you have those extra hours to go and, you know, try to get another client, right. you know, drum up some business, go to the marketing events, those kinds of things, you know. And I, I don't really know that I've ever seen a small business person, you know, say, hey, I can't wait till this weekend because I get to do my taxes because they, you know, that's something that people just push off. So um, in my opinion, if you are in the point where you think, I don't think I'm getting the benefit of all that's out there for taxes. And like I said, I don't know at all, but I don't think I'm getting the benefit of, of everything that's out there that's when you're going to want to go see a CPA. And I'm going to tell you the best time to go see a CPA is before you start, yes. before you start that business, let them help you be proactive in doing the right things for the mileage the home office, all of those things. Um, if you're already in the business and you've been doing it yourself year after year um, you know, if you decide to use a CPA, I'd say go to them before year end, yeah. because once the year ends, there's not a lot we can do. Yeah. It's done.
0: Yes. Yes. So
1: Doing some tax planning, if you have an S corporation, determining if there's a bonus check that needs to help pay that estimated tax payment that you missed because you can build it into your W-2. You know, do those kinds of things so that you're not penalized. Um, But before year end, it's key because once you come to us after the end of the year, it's just cranking out the numbers. Um, I always tell people if they come to me and they're just W-2 employees, they don't have any side businesses or anything like that. I tell them, you can probably get it right using TurboTax or one of those other softwares, you probably get it 95, 90, 95% correct. Yeah. Um, but if you're in a business situation, um, I think it's invaluable to have somebody, a tax preparer or a CPA helping you out getting yeah. those deductions.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's it it's it, um like you said, you're you're good at whatever it is that your business is. And I use doctors as an example all the time because we'll have doctors come through um, you know, purchasing homes and, and they'll send me their tax returns and I'll look at them and I'm like, man, this is a, this is a train wreck. Right. And they have, for the purposes of their taxes, you know, they may be writing off a lot of their income, but for them being able to buy a home, you know, it, right. it's, it's going to be a different circumstance and it's because they're really good at being doctors and right. they're really good at that, but they're not really good at necessarily running that business right. and structuring it correctly. So is there, um, what would you recommend to somebody to ask a CPA when they sit down and interview them the first time, like what types of questions and what types of answers should they get that don't throw up any red flags and go, okay, this is the right kind of person or "Eh, I think I probably need to talk to somebody else.
1: Well, I would ask them, you know, you know, how long they've been in the business. I obviously, you know, um, that's going to be key. Obviously you're going to learn stuff in school, but you know, half the stuff you learn in school, you don't carry forward through, Um, you know, whether they've, you know, how many tax returns they prepare, you know, are they, are they knowledgeable in the different types of entities? Are they knowledgeable in the deductions that are eligible for an S Corp versus an LLC? Because the, the home office deduction is a different calculation for an S Corporation than it is for a a single member LLC. Um, I would, you know, I would, you know, sit there and, and if they're saying, oh, we can get you all your money back, obviously,
0: you know, that's a little
1: bit bit of a red flag for me. Um, you know, and, and you see people like, Oh, well, if you come to us, we'll get you every dollar. Yeah. Everybody should be getting you every dollar you're (laughs) entitled to because that, you know, so, so, you know, just kind of feel, see if you're comfortable with the answers that he's giving you, whether he or she is giving you, whether, um, you know, is this something that they, that they're really pushing that. Okay. We can definitely, um, save you taxes because we can skirt the law or we can, you know, I'm, I'm a conservative one. I'm going to get you every legal deduction, but I'm not going to be that one. I am not going to be that one. That's going to let you take four four vehicles when you're only driving one. You're not
0: dancing in gray areas is what you're saying. Right. right. Yeah.
1: I use this funny joke and uh, I don't know if it's, if it's beneficial here, but I always tell people I don't like, I don't look good in orange. So an orange jumpsuit is not my idea of fun. <laughs> so if you want someone to go to jail for you, you find someone else who looks good in orange. So
0: Well, and I think it's important too, because I've experienced this in uh, talking with different CPAs under different circumstances is I run into a lot that are just like, well, just give me your stuff and I'll, I'll, I'll take care of it. And, and I am like, well, I, but, but I have some questions. Like I want to know right, right. what I'm doing here. And when they're not willing to take the time to answer those questions right. for you or, or explain things a little bit I think that's a red flag to me because anytime you're dealing with someone's finances and you're dealing with potential for you know audits. yes audits and, and and things regarding the the police and the federal government I think you probably want to have a right. pretty good understanding and feel confident that the person that is doing it is it knows what they're doing and is willing to answer those questions because if they're not and they just like send me your stuff and you know I'll, I'll make sure it's taken care of I would definitely, uh, caution against that myself.
1: Well, and one thing that I will note on that, you know, I have a lot of clients that I've never even met in face to face, Sure, but, um, Because I've gotten a referral from someone and they live, they work for this company, but in a different, you know, state. But I'm always going to ask for your prior year tax return. I want to look at last year's tax return, not because I want to look for errors, not because I think somebody else did it wrong. But I want to look and see if there's some carryovers that I need to add to this. So if they're not asking you for last year's tax return, they're not going to make sure if you have capital loss carryovers, they're going to miss it you know, things like that. I want to see what kind of, if you have rental properties, I want to see the depreciation schedules, what they've been taking for depreciation. So we can make sure we're continuing that depreciation and get the gain calculation properly done when you sell. Um, so, you know, it, it, and I always, if I get a new client, I always ask them, you know, let's sit down, let's talk about what you want, whether it be on the phone or whether it be, um, You know in person let's talk about what you want to achieve with this new relationship that we might potentially have you know we both want to help each other out you you want me to help you prepare your tax return but i want to make sure that i'm doing what's right for you and if i find someone who is not going to be beneficial me i'm going to tell them i'm not going to charge you the money just so i can have another client yeah you know i want you to be comfortable with me as well as i'm comfortable with you yeah and you know there will be there are times you know as a cpa and a tax preparer you'll fire a client because you're just not on the same page yes and you have to be okay with that you got to cover your butt too because you can you going get, be getting in trouble yeah. with everybody and they're not so, doing things the yeah. right way
0: so. Well, Ruth, this has been awesome. Uh, it's been a wealth of knowledge. And like I said, I'm going to probably have to go back and watch this a few times because I got I to gotta make my own notes and uh, make sure I don't get myself into any trouble because my wife and I are both in real estate and you know we have all all kinds of fun things going on. So um, I can't thank you enough for coming in and, and going through all this. And um, I definitely will probably have you back someday too, because Perfect. there's always more questions about taxes and you've been incredibly eloquent with everything and explained it very clearly. I don't feel like my head's swimming too much other than I'm sitting here going, man, I need to, there's a few things I need to take care of. This so is what
1: I need to do now. That's right. That's right.
0: That's right. So it, before we go, is there anything you want to leave us with or anything that you would say just as, you know, just to wrap it up?
1: Well, I just really want to say thank you for having me. Yeah. It's been great. I've really enjoyed it. I hope your listeners, um, gain some really valuable information from this. Um, you know, like I said, IRS is a good website to go to. Um, you can find some answers out there, but you know, most CPAs are pretty knowledgeable and, and just reach out to somebody, reach out to your attorney, make sure you're, you know, you're doing the things you need to do to cover yourself liability wise, but also tax wise.
0: Well, you guys want to make sure this is the time, right? Because when we're at the end of the year or, or almost at the end of the year, um, you need to get yourself set up for next year. So you make sure that you're covered uh, and have the structure in place for 2024. Um, so that way you don't run into any issues. So now's the time to start. Don't call the CPA on April 1st and ask them how to set everything up because they're right. not going to have and, time. And
1: here's them. my shoebox too yes. <laughs> of receipts. Yes,
0: here's okay. my shoebox of receipts right before Everybody else on the planet is trying to father stuff. So, all right, guys. Well, I appreciate everybody sticking with us. Um, I hope y'all have a great weekend. Still thrilled about my Texas Rangers winning the World Series and be celebrating this for the next month, probably. So, for the Ruth, next year. For the next year, yes. <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm pretty much going to be wearing a Ranger shirt every day for the next uh, 30 days, no matter what. So, <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Ruth. Thank I appreciate you. your time. And we'll be back uh, next week. Um, I am on my market update that's coming up on Monday. I'm really going to kind of dive deep into the NAR situation. Uh, there's been a lot of stuff that's happened. Um, they've reached verdicts, the judgments have been issued. So I really want to kind of dive into that. So tune in for the market update on Monday. If you want to find out a little bit more and how that's going to affect your commissions, because it is otherwise I will see everybody again next week. Thanks a lot.
1: Thank you.